Welcome back to episode two of the Wildly Unexplained. I am Gary. And I'm Danny. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be back, Gary. Yes, sir. I'm real excited. Um, so today we've actually got two cases for y'all. Um, I think that we're going to really kind of bring some some good uh, good quality cases, you know, in this episode. I'm actually, I'm really fired up about it. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm glad we picked these two cases. These are pretty bizarre, and I'm, I'm excited about getting into them, man. Yeah, so to kind of keep the trend of uh, bizarre disappearances, um, our third case here is actually about a youngster named Keith Parkins. So this is a, this is a case that's actually going to go back a little bit. So this actually happened in April of 1952 in Ritter, Oregon. Okay? So... Keith is actually, he's a young, and he's, he's actually, he was two years old at the time that this happened. Uh, he was playing outside of the bar with a couple other kids. They were called inside, you know, it was about lunchtime, you know, give or take, so they were actually called inside, and Keith didn't respond. So the other kids, you know, you know, ran inside, whatever, Keith was nowhere to be found. Yeah, and going back, make sure that, that we reiterate Keith is two years old. You know, he's he's a very small child. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, you know, I mean, any two-year-old I've known, you know, isn't getting anywhere anywhere fast. No, definitely not. Tiny feet, two years old. You think about it. You, some, most kids start walking around 12 to 18 months. You know, they're they're not going very far at this age. Right. So, a very brief search ensues. You know, they they look around the barn. They look in the barn. You know, in the vicinity. You know. To no avail. Keith is nowhere to be found. Several hours later, you know, or you know, to, to kind of before we get into that notion, they actually, you know, they they alert the the authorities and everything, um, get some searchers to help out. Several hours later, so this is about four miles from the barn where he was last seen. Searchers actually come across some footprints in a clearing. Yeah, and think but about no that keys. for a second. Several, uh, this is uh, about four miles from where he was last seen. Yeah. Yeah, as a two-year-old, just just think about that. And we haven't even gone into the details of the terrain. And we'll get into the topography of this area, but just know that a two-year-old going this far is, is already bizarre as it is. Yeah, no. It, it, it's crazy. I mean, as a, as a 28-year-old, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, four miles out I mean yeah. you know and, and this is several hours you know so yeah. it would probably take me as a, as a, as a pretty active you know uh, I, I like to think that I'm in, I'm in good shape you know it's gonna take me a couple you know a couple hours to, to get four miles walking um, yeah and also we need to point out the fact that it is April but it was recorded that the temperatures during this day in Oregon were actually below freezing yeah I think there was actually snow on the ground at the time. Yes, yeah, there was, there was. I mean, it, it's it's cold, you know. So, and I know from personal experience. I mean, living in Colorado, we've got warm weather, we've got you know freezing weather, we've got medium, you know, middle weather. You know, in the cold weather, I don't operate as fast, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, to walk, you know, four miles in a couple hours, you know, in, no, in, in freezing conditions like that. No, Fuck that. There's some, yeah, there's definitely something bizarre about a two-year-old going this far. And these conditions. Yeah. So this uh, this search actually ended up lasting, you know, for about almost 20 hours. Um, yeah. 
crazy. I mean, you know, to think about a two-year-old, you know, out in the wilderness for, you know, just shy of 20 hours. I mean, yeah. it's nuts. Like, the kid's two. Yeah, and I believe uh, from the point that he uh, he was lost to the where they actually ended up finding him, as the crow flies, was eight miles. But, you know, you can't walk. the. He actually had to cross two mountain ranges to where he was found. And they estimate around that it was probably around 12 miles that little Keith had to cover in the time that he had. Right. So, good point to make. Um, Les Stroud, who is actually a very popular survivalist, uh, hit series Survivor Man. Um, you know, th this guy is like fully equipped and trained, you know, to, to survive uh, in primitive conditions and everything like that. So this guy is like, he, he, he comes out here and he, and he actually reads all six of David Polite's books. Yeah. And got in touch with him, you know, to actually, you know, to discuss some of these disappearances and everything. Yeah, he was very intrigued, so he he wanted to to get in touch with Dave and, and try to go into more depth of, of these disappearances. He actually linked up with Dave on this case, and he was gonna follow the footsteps that little Keith took that day he went missing. Yeah, well, I mean, fir firsthand, you know, look at what Keith had to endure, you know, getting from you know point A being the barn to point B, you know, where where he was found. I mean, yeah, insane. So yeah, it's definitely a good perspective. There's a video of it online. It's also in the documentary. It's it gives you a good sense of the topography that this two-year-old had to cover, and it's truly mind-boggling. You know, the he had to cross two mountain ranges up and down. It was it was treacherous terrain. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to kind of think about that too. I mean, I've I've seen you know, the, the, the online videos, uh, I, I've seen a little bit about it, you know, about Les trying to, you know, navigate, you know, this terrain, and it's not easy. No, he's definitely struggling, and you, you can definitely tell he's struggling, and not to mention that 20 hours from the point that Keith went missing to the point where he was found, it got dark out there, uh, considerably dark. It, it's, it's, kind of crazy to think about that you know because even as you know as, as a grown man um you know going into you know trying to retrace the footsteps of this of this young kid you know less actually details you know that that the thicket that he had to go through you know he could not see and like you know th this guy had a, had a camera you know had you know had a light with him and everything you know so so he was he was prepared you know, and there was a full moon the night that he tried to do this, you know, so he tried to go out there to retrace his kid's steps, you know, and, and it was just unsuitable to see. I mean, even with a full moon, the thicket was so just engulfing, you know, that, that yeah. he just, he couldn't see in front of him. Yeah, and going back to the fact that Lestroud, you know, in the... In the outdoor world, you know, he's he's the ultimate survivalist. I, mean, I love his show on Discovery Channel. You know, this is the to put somebody in the wilderness, he would be the guy. He would get traverse the, the the terrain and get to where he need. And to see less struggle going from point A to point B, it just it just makes this case even bizarre. Well, it it, it just kind of goes to the fact of you know how the hell did a two year old kid, you know, venture out basically twelve miles you know, from his location and make it, you know, in 19 to 20 hours. Yeah. I mean, th th this is just bizarre.
No, to say the least, for sure. I, I mean, you know, well, just think about that, dude. Like, you know, two years old, you know, so obviously, you know, he, he's, he's got his legs, but, you know, he, two years old, I mean, you're, they're not very strong. Yeah, they're tiny legs, tiny feet. And if you look at the video and you can see the pictures, you know, the, the topography of this place is, is very rocky. There's a lot it's of up dense. and down. Yeah. So to see Les trying to get through the thicket and up and down to just to picture a two-year-old. To try to get through the same thing is just, it's unfathomable to me. I'm not really sure how how a two-year-old would have done it, but nonetheless, you know, he did it one way or another. Right. Well, which is which is pretty incredible to me, um, you know, because living in Colorado, I mean, you know, we, we've got a lot of really good hiking here. And, and I, I mean, even, you know, myself, being in as, as, as decent shape that I'm in, you know, and, and actively hiking and everything, um, there's definitely some some physicality, you know, to to traversing some of these, you know, different hikes, and you know, we've got landscape that looks much like the video, you know, where they were, and it's not easy. No, definitely not. And I mean, looking back on it, and you know, the the people that they brought out, the search and rescue efforts, you know, for a full 20 hours after he disappeared, you know, uh, Keith's father actually was the one to find him. I believe he was about 50 yards away that he noticed something in the middle of a clearing. He goes over and Keith actually is laying down in the snow uh, with his jacket next to him. His father yeah. picks, picks him up and he's alive. He's unconscious, but he's alive. Yeah, th there's actually uh, a newspaper clipping that we're gonna actually post on our Twitter um, so you guys can, can kind of see that. Um, but it actually does notate that, you know, that when they found Keith, you know, he was stiff from the cold, uh, and the exposure, and he was actually in critical condition. Um, so he was actually flown to a hospital when they did find him, you know, fortunately, and they were actually able to, you know, to, to fully, you know, get him better, which is amazing. Yeah, no doubt about it. At two years old and sub-freezing temperatures, uh, uh, him putting his jacket to the side, you know, there's this... Uh, I believe they say that during hypothermia, people actually take layers of clothing off. So it makes the little Keith, uh, was he suffering from hypothermia at this point? Probably. I mean, anything's possible. I mean, you know, if, if you really think about it, I mean, you know, it, it was, it was freezing weather, you know, it, it was, it was cold. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that he had some sort of hypothermia at, at, at some, at any point of, you know, his, his venture. Yeah. Nonetheless, but you know, Keith was unconscious and when he came to, he had no recollection of how he got there. Absolutely none. And David Politis actually uh, tracked him down all these years later. And it, he still has no idea what happened that day. Yeah. And I mean, I don't remember a heck of a lot from when I was, you know, from when I was two years old. But, um, you know, and, and he could have even maybe suppressed it, you know, as he, as he got older and, and just yeah. tried to, you know, kind of push it away into his subconscious, you know. But a traumatic experience like that, I mean, I mean, literally, like, like you ended up 12 miles away from where you were playing in yeah. the freezing cold, you know, face down, unconscious. I mean, yeah. that to me is just like, holy shit, man. Well, like, me looking at the distance and the time of day, the temperature, I personally don't think a two-year-old could have could have made that trip. Uh, in, in my mind, something happened to Keith that day that, you know, he has no idea. But I just don't see a two-year-old uh, traversing the, the terrain in that time. 
and getting as far as he did. No, that's that's a great point too, because you know, I mean, kind of going back to what I said earlier about here, you know, the hikes here in Colorado. I mean, some of these hikes aren't easy, man. And and, and as a as a 28 year old, you know, semi fit guy, I mean, I even have trouble, you know, kind of traversing some of these hikes and everything. So to to think of a two year old, not to mention in the freezing cold, uh, and and kind of ironic that this, that this place is called Skull Canyon. Um, you know, yeah. we actually didn't, you know, uh, say that earlier, but this place is called Skull Canyon, so that, that's just got a creepy, creepy Yeah, it's name. Got, a, got a bizarre name, but by all means. But, but in any sense, I mean, like, even even for me, like, like some of these hikes are, are tough. So a two-year-old in freezing fucking weather, getting 12 yeah. miles out in 19 hours, you know, just shy of 20 hours. That's yeah, impressive. I don't buy it. That, I don't well, buy it. If it's true, that's impressive. Yeah, no kidding. But I mean, there's a lot of theories out there about what happened to Keith that day, and you know, I've seen some about uh, maybe he was picked up by an animal. Animal. I don't see it. His clothes had no no rips in them. You know, he had no no exterior injuries that suggest that. Uh, other people say, you know, well, was he kidnapped? You know, it's possible, but to have somebody uh, pick up little Keith and and walk him. The, or basically carry him the distance that he did and just leave him out there in the in the cold that far away like uh what was he trying what was this person trying to do with keith you know like what, what was the goal here because there was no indication of any foul play towards keith besides the fact that he was probably in the stages of hypothermia no and i do want to touch back on you know the, on the theories behind this case and you know was he picked up was he abducted you know what was there uh, animal predation that that might have happened to happen um you know what 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 went down i, and I just i just want to say too that there were no prints or anything like that found at the barn you know so where he originally started like he literally just vanished yeah his trail his they managed to track some footsteps uh, some four miles away and then at that point the, the trail went cold so what but, happened but that, that was four miles out like how the yeah. hell do you do you, are you at one place and then you you, you there, there's some tracks four miles away i don't know did you know was he picked up or did he That's step crazy. through a, a portal i don't know it's it's a bizarre <laughs> case to say the least it's can it's, this kid fucking teleport i mean if, and if he can can he teach me <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, you look at the facts of the case, you look at where he disappeared and where he was ultimately found. It just looked like he stepped somewhere and then he reappeared 12 miles away. Insane, man. Um, absolutely insane. And, you know, thank goodness he was found, you know, but again, you know, Dave Polites, like I said earlier, you know, I actually did interview him and, and he has no recollection of that day. Um, no. Which it, which is insane uh again you know a traumatic experience like that you know find him unconscious with it with his jacket and his hat you know sitting beside him um you know face down yeah. in the snow yeah I mean, and that, those that's, cases that's where where these people disappear and they're found again you know the these cases uh you know they're out there uh we try to be careful with the cases that we pick but we definitely thought this one was bizarre for sure yeah it, it's it's kind of wild um you know, because again, I mean, a two-year-old traveling, you know, basically 12 miles, you know, in freezing temperatures, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, it's bizarre for sure. Yeah, so I, I 
baffles my mind. Um, you know, I don't really know where to go, you know, with this one. I mean, because again, you, know, you, you can call animal predation, but again, no, no evidence to suggest that, you know, no ripped clothing, nothing like that. And if there was any rips, I mean, you know, I do believe, you know, he actually he encountered some barbed wire fences that he had to either crawl through or climb over. Yeah. Um, you know, so if there were, you know, cause I know that Les actually talks about that in the video, but, um, you know, no blood, no evidence of any sort of foul play whatsoever. Uh, it was obviously the aliens. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. This, this case is so bizarre. It just looked like he got plucked out of the sky. And aliens are portals, out. man. I mean, you know, yeah. like I said, if this kid can teleport, I mean, he needs to teach me cause I, I, I can't stand, you know, having to wait in line and you know, all the airplane rides and stuff like that, but, you know. Yeah, this case is definitely wildly unexplained. Super weird, super weird. But let's let's hop into our next case here. All right, guys, so case number four is Mel Nadell. Uh, this happened in September 2009 in Pecos, New Mexico. So a little bit of background about Mel. 61 years old, uh, very successful businessman, you know, happily married, has a, has a daughter, um, you know, again, to reiterate, successful businessman, owned a jewelry store, uh, at the time of his disappearance, actually owned a Pilates studio. Yeah. So Mel himself was actually in, uh, pretty decent shape. He was actually in, a, in good shape. I mean, yeah, I would say so. I mean, the guy had a black belt, you know, in, in martial arts, you know, whatever, uh, branch that is, 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 you know, I, I was not able to find, but... Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if it's karate or Aikido or Jiu-Jitsu, whatever it is, but the guy worked out, he was in, in good physical form, and he was an avid hunter. Yeah, so he actually uh, hailed from Brooklyn, um, but had actually lived in Santa Fe since about 1991. So again, you know, he knew the area very well, you know, hunted those areas, I mean, you know, very, you know, very consistently. You know, so he, yes. he had a good background of where to go, you know, what time to go, you know, and so on and so forth. So the guy knew yeah. the area very well. Yeah, so this area wasn't alien to him by any means. He knew how to get in and out of the hunting site. You know, that, that was never an issue from the beginning. Right. So normal day for him, you know, going out with, with two of his buddies. You know, they're going to go hunt uh, near Elk Mountain, actually. So th this is actually... Uh, right outside of Pecos, you know, uh, in New Mexico. So the day of the hunt, you know, he drives his Cherokee uh, up to the campsite and walks to base camp. So parks his vehicle next to his friend's vehicles, which is a very key point to make. Yes. At about 4.30 p.m., like this happens kind of in the afternoon, uh, his two friends decide to go elk hunting. So Mel actually had hurt his knee prior, uh, decided that he was going to build a blind uh, near the camp. Yeah, and I believe he, uh, that injury happened a couple of days before he went hunting. He actually stepped uh, inside his foot inside a gopher hole, twisted his knee. So ultimately that led to the decision of him staying near camp while his two buddies went out to go look for some elk. Right, which makes which makes total logical sense. I mean, if I if I hurt my knee, um, I'm not gonna want to walk a far distance, you know. Right. So at that point of the game, he builds this blind, you know. And for our uh, non-hunter listeners, a blind is actually basically like a tent, 
Uh, you, you set it up and you're actually able to sit inside of it with a, basically a window. And the, the animals are, are supposed to not be able to see you, but you can see outside and see these animals. Um, so and if one passes by... Uh, right. It's important to mention that this uh, this blind that he built was about 100, 150 yards from base camp. So he could actually see base camp from the point where he actually set up his blind. Uh, yeah, we're talking about a football field, maybe a little more, you know, football field than a half, you know, away. Just to kind of put it into perspective for you guys. Um, okay. So not a very far distance, you know, by any means, you know, and, and again... He did have a hurt leg, you know, so he's not going to be walking, you know, very much or very far at this point. So at about 7 p.m., so about two and a half hours later, uh, the two other hunters return, and Mel is nowhere to be found, either around the campsite, you know, at the campsite, just nowhere to be found. Like, they, they do not see him at all. Yeah. It's important to mention that his jeep was still there, and to the point where he was hunting, it was already dark. It's it's unusual that Mel wasn't already back because uh, at this point there was no hunting to be done. It was dark out. He wasn't very far from camp, so he should have been back by the time his buddies came back to camp. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of equally as strange, uh, you know. Like again, that there was zero uh, presence, you know, of of Mel. That there was nothing that he left behind, nothing to that sort of nature. Uh, so these two hunters, you know, they're like, all right, like maybe he wandered off, maybe he followed an elk, you know, something to that kind of nature, you know, where he was, uh, where he wandered off, you know, he'd be back shortly, like, like no yeah. big deal. Exactly. Maybe he twisted his knee, you know, he, he further injured his knee or he, he got a kill and he was working on bringing it back. Maybe he got lost. It was dark at this point. I don't know, but it's, they've definitely, it's unusual. He wasn't back at this point, but they decided, you know, they needed to start looking for Mel. Yeah, so at this point of the game, they actually brought an air horn, uh, which, awesome idea. I mean, you know, j in case you get hurt, you have to alert somebody, um, you know, maybe get reunited with somebody who, who potentially got lost, just like this situation. You know, yeah. so, so they actually blast this air horn, and then furthermore, they actually discharged their weapons. So they, they fired their weapons into the air uh, to hopefully let Mel hear that. And, yeah. you know, and and walk in their general direction or, you know, just even know that they're out there looking for them. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, if, if they discharge their weapons, they they blew the air horn, that's, that's enough noise. If Mal actually potentially did get lost, which is unlikely, but if he did, it would have been enough for him to pinpoint where, uh, where camp was, to where he could make his way back to his friends. Right. And so after some reasonable time there, you know, blowing the air horn... Um, you know, firing a couple shots into the air. They actually did alert authorities at this point. Yeah. So my first uh, thought, you know, in, in this whole kind of, in this whole report was that, you know, maybe, you know, being in, you know, Elk Mountain and everything, maybe he, maybe he did wander off. You know, maybe he did uh, maybe fall off. You know, maybe there, there was a cliff face or something like that, that, you know, maybe he, uh, didn't anticipate or you know something to that kind of nature but yeah I, at this point i'd like to bring up you know one of the websites that we actually did find um that actually has a lot of pictures and everything like that to kind of showcase uh the surroundings and the environment you know where mel was actually hunting 
Yeah, and I believe this is a local news source that took pictures of the area that Mel was actually last seen, the base camp, and the, the surrounding trails. You know, this is a very open area. The trails are well marked. So for somebody to get lost out here, it's pretty difficult. And when you look at it, you know, you can see long distances. Like I said, it's an open area. So for him to fall off or get lost, it's, it's, it's unlikely at this point. Right, and and even just kind of going by some of these pictures, I mean, I don't even really see any cliffs to fall off of. Um, I mean, there, there's a couple questionable spots, but they're literally on a road, um, you know, with a guardrail, you know, things like that. So he'd have to actually physically leave camp, you know, to unfortunately fall off, you know, one of these, you know, crevices, you know, if you will. Yeah. But anyway, uh, this website is actually called the Santa Fe Ghosts and History Tours. Um, so this actually showcases this entire uh, investigation that happened with Mel Nadell. Um, you know, and, and like I said, kind of showcases some photos and also some videos um, from local news outlets. You know, looking into uh, the reports of, of this missing hunter. Um, and again, I mean, like you said, Danny. I mean, like some of these trails are just are very well marked. I mean. You know, they're very distinguishable. You know, even somebody like myself who's not familiar with the area, if I'm seeing, you know, trails like this, I mean, the, unless I completely veer off and, and just go off in a different direction, I mean, it's going to be very difficult, you know, to get lost. Yeah, and I believe this this is a, a pretty popular area. If you look at the pictures in the surrounding area, you can see picnic tables. So it's it's pretty popular. It's easy to get around. So like going back to the fact that Mel actually getting lost out here is to me is pretty unlikely. Well, right, and, and not to mention the fact that I mean most of the pictures that that are that are encased in this uh, on this website. You know the spots that they've taken are very open like it, it's it's not like it's like this like lush amazon forest you know that that's just a it's a dense thicket you know where where he can literally you know he, he's got to crawl through you know th yeah. this, this is all open land i mean like yeah, exactly you know like the, the trees are, are, are pretty well spaced out i mean like it, it seems you know for a hunter i mean it seems like a pretty 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 good place to go you know to set up a blind and obviously go after some elk. Yeah, it's definitely, from what I hear, the information I've gathered, it's a great spot to hunt. And, you know, it's it's open. There are areas for cover. And, you know, Mel picked a really good area near camp. Uh, he was he was ready for whatever was out there. You know, then the question beckons, did he see some deer? Did, did he follow them? Did he try to shoot, uh, try to get one with his bow? Um, but at this point, you know, how far would he have wandered on his bum knee to try to get a kill? Yeah, and, and that's a pretty important, you know, point to make. You know, and I, I know that we kind of touched on this, you know, last episode. But, you know, I just want to kind of get back into the notion that, you know, this case is about a hunter, you know, who knows the area, one, you know, has obviously been hunting for years and years and years, um, you know, so knows exactly, you know, what he's doing out there. Like, it's not like he, you know, had just got this, this thought in his head where he was just going to go out there with a gun and, or a bow and, and just go out there and shoot whatever the first thing that he saw. Like, like this guy is like, I'm going elk hunting. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to prepare i'm gonna have you know the right gear yeah and you know to that you know to, to that point i mean this guy was in full hunting attire so yeah you know he to, to the point you know to the fact of 
wearing thermal undergarments. I mean, like, he knows what he's doing. You know, not to say that any Yahoo that, that puts on, you know, thermals, you know, is a hunter. That's not what I'm saying by any means. But if you know you're going to be out there in, you know, inclement weather and cold weather, you put on thermals. Like, like that. Yeah. that's not something that, that you miss. No, he was definitely prepared. You know, Mel, looking into his background, Mel's been doing this for years. He's not an amateur by any means, and he went out there fully prepared for whatever he might find. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, went out there with a bow. I mean, he was bow hunting. You know, but a bow might not be, you know, the, the best weapon of choice, you know, as far as, you know, coming across something that might be unforeseen. But the guy had a forty-four revolver with him. And yeah. also a hunting knife, just in case. I mean, like, again, this isn't just some, you know, some, you know, Joe Schmo coming off the, coming off the, you know, w w with the notion that he just wants to go hunting. Like, like this guy is, he, he knows what he's doing. No, he's definitely prepared. And, uh, I mean, we, we can't overstate that enough, that the fact that he had the full gear, he had a bow, he had a, a 44 revolver at his side. That's a that's a pretty sizable handgun, you know, that, that that's enough to protect you. And, you know, he had a knife, and going into his gear, you know, he had full thermals. Uh, he was definitely prepared. Sure, yeah. It, it's To me, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and, you know, the other two hunters, I mean, didn't hear discharge, you know, uh, there were no, you know, casings found or even arrows, you know, for that matter. So obviously, you know, he didn't discharge either weapon. And if he discharged his bow, like fired his bow, you know, they didn't find the arrow. Exactly. And even when you go, when you look and consider the fact that the search and rescue teams that they brought out here, it was hundreds of officials. You know, I believe in the Santa Fe area, this is one of the biggest search and rescue undertakings that the state had ever seen. Yeah, right. So, you know, during the search, like, they actually enlisted the help of airplanes, helicopters, you know, all-terrain vehicles, you know, people on horses, tracker dogs. I mean, they, they literally, I mean, rallied everyone, you know, to yeah. try and find this guy. Yeah, and it, to, to no avail. This area. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and honestly speaking, too, uh, they actually did come up to or come across uh, tracks, you know, that actually led from, you know, the outside into the woods um the tracks led about 150 yards away from camp and they followed a trail which i thought was pretty interesting yeah so the, from this blind i believe they the dogs picked up a scent from his vehicle to the blind and then follow uh footsteps about 150 yards away from camp and they could see foot footprints leading into this trail but uh shockingly enough uh, once they get to this trail, the footprints completely stop. So there was no the once again like the scent was was lost there. The footprints stopped right there. It's almost as if uh, Melvin just vanished. Yeah, and which is super bizarre because you know they actually said that uh, in 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 this report here that the footprints you know they don't go to the left or right. They just go from the camp straight into the woods you know following this trail but there's no sign of struggle yeah so literally like like the the footprints just vanish after after a short while so so again 150 yards so a football football field and a half you know away from base camp and they just disappear they're they're gone yeah. 
and you know makes you wonder what happened to Mel at this point. Was it was there an animal predation case uh, talking here? You know, but the problem is, and my issue with it is that once the tracks stop at the trail, there there's nothing more. There's no signs of a struggle. There are no torn clothing. No no shell casing casings like there there was nothing to indicate that something happened to Mel at this point it just looked like he walked up to that point in the trail and then he just disappeared right and, and to me like like that's kind of the weirdest part you know because the the, the footprints just abruptly stop and like that's it you know so yeah. again you know to reiterate Danny's point no blood no clothing no shell casings arrows nothing no no other prints either so you know to, to factor in animal predation you know, yes, you know, people have thought about that, but again, there's no prints, you know, to justify, you know, saying that there was, you know, a mountain lion or bear, you know, that that could have possibly, you know, snagged this guy. Exactly. And, you know, we're talking about a full grown man here that if a, a bear or a mountain lion would have grabbed him, there, there would have been a struggle. You know, there would have been signs of, of him being dragged off, potentially clothing and blood. Like, th none of this was found. Right. Well, so, and they actually, you know, kind of factor in this article, too, you know, if, if he was drug off, there'd be evidence. There, there'd be, there'd be track marks, there'd be, you know, drag marks, everything like that. No uh, doubt about it. You know, if, if he panicked and ran away, obviously there would be more tracks, you know. Yeah. Th there would be some sort of evidence to notate that, you know, hey, this guy wandered off or, you know, became delusional or something like that and, you know, and went into hiding, you know, or something yeah. to that kind of nature. Not to mention the fact that the dogs, you know, they followed the scent to a certain area. Dogs are very good at, at following a scent, you know. it's It just bothers me that his trail kind of went cold at that certain point. And there's nothing to indicate that anything happened to Mel at this point. It just looked like he just disappeared from the face of the earth. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's completely crazy. And, you know, to, to me, like, you know kind of reading up on this case and everything like that like my first you know instinct and my first thought was like oh yeah okay like like this guy probably ran into some trouble like you know maybe you know uh came across an animal that you know he that he just necessarily wasn't prepared for but then i got thinking back to it you know back to our previous point about this guy like you know hunting this place for years like we're not just talking about hey let's go to a new place like you know let's try it out like this guy knew the area like he knew what kind of animals were there yeah and absolutely and like it just it didn't make a whole lot of sense like if anything unpredictable would have happened uh you know we would have seen signs of it but that's just not the case and you know i've seen some theories about mel and adele about well possibly he he traced his footsteps backwards and he hitchhiked out of town and Maybe he wanted out of his life, but, you know, experts looked into his accounts, you know, none, none of his accounts were touched. There were no signs that, that he was unhappy at home. So that ultimately was dismissed. So we're left to, to wonder, you know, what happened at this point? Was he kidnapped? Was there foul play? But the problem is that there's nothing to indicate that anything like that happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, to kind of touch on that, you know, again, his... his financial accounts none of none of it was was touched at all i mean and reportedly you know he had a great home life i mean he he loved his family you know he was he was a true family man yeah. um you know so honestly speaking unless there was something fishy about that i mean you know they, they really did you know kind of you know discredit that that theory 
Yeah, and like I said, like the rescue teams, you know, they, they brought everything, airplanes, ATVs, helicopters, dogs. It was a massive search effort. And interestingly enough, September 9, uh, a few days after Mel was missing, it was like, uh, a couple days after the, the search started, this uh, massive storm ripped through the Pecos area and they actually had to call off the, the search. And that might not seem like significant at this point, but the deeper we go into these uh, missing person cases, you'll see that a lot of the points that link up is uh, during these disappearances, either during or after, during the search and rescue efforts, these uh, atmospheric events are taking place that, that they kind of interfere with the search and rescue efforts or with the person actually in the process of getting lost. So that's something that we'll, we'll touch up on the future, but you know, unfortunately this massive storm came in and they had to call off the search that entire day, which makes you wonder, you know, at this point, where was Mel? Was there a chance to, to recover him at this point? And sadly the call, the search had to be called off. I don't know. Very bizarre, man. I mean, you know, and, and there are a lot of you know, speculation, you know, behind that, but you know, just kind of diving back into Mel's case, um, you know, even just me thinking about this now, like, you know, let's say that this guy was like, on the you know, because everything always looks great from the outside. You know, if, if people want you to speculate that they've got a great life, they're going to do that. And you're exactly. not gonna, you're not going to know what happens behind closed doors. So let's let's even just take this a little you know, step further and say that this guy was completely miserable at home. You know, and he just wanted to, you know, basically go out there and be like, all right, I'm done with this. You know, I'm, 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 I'm through with this shit. Yeah. So he literally would have to be so careful, you know, to backtrack his, his footprints, you know, and, and people have speculated that, you know, that he has done this. But again, I want to point out that none of his financial accounts were, were, were touched they were not you know baffled with no money was missing no money was moved mm -hmm. so my only theory behind this is like you know or, or, or i guess trying to play devil's advocate here you know it's not uncommon for you know for for folks to have separate accounts you know so what if he had a separate financial account you know that that he socked money away into and was like all right well fuck it i'm out yeah there were no indications to, to suggest that, but you know, like you said, playing devil's advocate, what if he did? My only problem with that is, is the fact that, you know, how, how he was perfectly able to retrace his steps, the fact that dogs weren't able to track, because if he retraced his steps, I, I'm, I would uh, believe that the dogs would have uh, followed his, uh, his trail down to where he hitchhiked, down to where he walked away to. See, and that, just... that's, that's, where the, that's where that theory kind of derails. Um... So, yeah. I mean, even even if he even if he did, you know, let's say he was perfectly aligned, you know, with his footprints, and and he, you know, backtracked his way out of out of the woods and and all that, the dogs would pick up a scent. Plus, I, I would imagine that they would be able to find, you know, some sort of of track left behind from some from a whatever vehicle, you know, would have had to pick him up at that point, because the guy is not going to be walking back to town. Let's let's be honest here, you know, bum knee. You know, literally, it was only going 150 yards into the, you know, into the woods from base camp because of that knee. He's not going to be walking. No, that, that's definitely that's another good point to to look at the fact that he had a bum knee. You know, he he wasn't going very far. I think that's the whole point we're trying to make here that 
That Mel went out there, he wanted to go hunting, he did not want to walk very far to do it. That's why he set up his blind where he did, and you know, he, he wasn't gonna make a big deal out of trying to chase down any deer that day. Right, and I mean, you know, even, even if he did, you know, decide to, you know, see an elk and decide to stalk it for a little bit in the woods, um, you know, he's not gonna go far. I mean, I know, you know, if, if I've ever hurt my knee, and I, you know, I've, I've had friends who have, you know, who have really, you know, tore up their knees and everything, and they don't get very far, you know, or very fast for that, for that nature. Um, that, you know, it, it's, it's just not something that, that is plausible. No, um, I just, I don't know what to think. Like, uh, I mean, looking at Mel's case and, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by these hunter cases because how we said, we reiterated last time we, we did one of these episodes, you know, hunters, they go out here fully equipped and, you know, they, they're, they are out there to kill and they are fully prepared to do so and it's kind of scary to think that you know maybe the hunter is becoming the hunted out here and guys with uh, uh sadly uh uh hunters who hunt with uh, bows actually have go missing at a higher percentage than those who hunt with guns but it's it's true yeah, no, and, and it, it is a very scary notion to think about. Um, you know, I mean, I've got friend, I've got many friends who actually hunt, and you know, especially you know, growing up where we did, Danny. Um, you know, th there's a lot of hunters back in our hometown. Yeah, you absolutely. know, so it, it's you know, I, I think that's why we kind of touched upon you know Tom Messick in our in our first episode there because it hit kind of close to home. Um, but again, you know, it's a kind of coat selling to what you were just saying. I mean, these guys know what they're doing. Like they're they're not just some Joe Schmo who just you know on a whim decides that they're gonna go hunting. I mean it's 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 frightening, like yeah. it really is. It just makes these cases even more bizarre. And I'm glad we covered this this case of Mel and Adele. And I'd like to go in the future. This this area actually where Mel went missing is actually called the Pecos Triangle. And there's actually a, a group of people over the years that have gone missing. And actually during the time that Mel vanished there are uh, a few more disappearances that hopefully we'll cover in the future but it's definitely an interesting area to cover and you know we can just dismiss it as as foul play or animal predation but i believe there's definitely something worth looking into this area there's something sinister that, that's happening out here i don't know what it is though well, I'd also like to kind of notate, you know, that, that there are speculations that, you know, maybe he ran into some trouble at the base camp, you know, um, you know, if, if he was at the camp, you know, when he disappeared, you know, maybe something happened there. But again, you know, to, to get back to the evidence and get back to the actual, the points, there was, there was zero signs of him being in that forest, aside from the footprints. Yeah, and obviously having his vehicle there and everything like that, like, like two major key points right there. So it drove up there, so you know he's there. There's footprints that the that the tracker dogs, you know, were able to pick up. So we we know he was there, but there's yeah. zero evidence, zero physical evidence that this guy left this camp. And not to mention that actually we we forgot to bring up that. Uh, Mel actually had a personal locating beacon and you know most hunters uh, they're trained if they're gonna go far away from from their base camp They're they're gonna bring this with them and Mel actually left his personal locating beacon in his Jeep So he wasn't planning on going very far Yeah, and I mean you know to to that credit too. I mean, you know that 
this is 2009. So, I mean, obviously we had some technology, you know, and, and hunters, you know, have tracking technology at that point. So it's not too far off the beaten path to, to say, okay, you know, I mean, if this guy, you know, imagine this guy actually had that thing on him, you know, and, and we were able to obviously locate, you know, where this guy happened to end up. Yeah, it makes you wonder if, if something did happen, would he have had time to, to turn it on? You know, they just going back to the fact that, you know, there is no evidence that he ever discharged his firearm. So it makes you wonder, would it have done any good? I don't know. Yeah. And, and again, kind of, to, you know, to go back into my whole devil's advocate, um, you know, thinking, you know, why did he leave it in the car? You know? Yeah. My thinking there is he just wasn't planning on going very far. And I don't think he, he was going to. I believe he was going to stay in his blind and not not venture too much further out than that. But something happened. I don't know if something got him or I just there's just no telling at this point. It's extremely bizarre, to say the least. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's unnerving, um, you know, to kind of think about that. But, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, you know, there was a cluster, you know, of cases that actually happened, you know, in or near Pecos. Um, you know, so, so what they're calling the Pecos Triangle, you know, it's supposedly supposed to be like, you know, the Bermuda Triangle with these mysterious disappearances and everything. Um, you know, so we definitely will touch on that, you know, in, in some further episodes and, uh, you know, just kind of try to peel back, you know, some of these, some of these particular cases, but yeah, you know, if, if, if you guys are interested in, uh, you know, have some sort of, you know, uh, thoughts or information to share with us, please do. Um, you know, we love looking into this kind of stuff and we love bringing this, you know, this information to you guys. So if, if anything comes up or if you guys, if you guys come across a case that you guys want us to, uh, further research and look into, please let us know. Yeah, definitely. You know, we got, I think we got a Twitter up now, Gary, uh, an Instagram, uh definitely uh check out the podcast let us know what you think and and what you think we should look into we're we're definitely enjoying do, uh doing this and i'm looking forward to doing this in the future going into more cases going in deeper and i'm really excited about looking into these clusters in north america especially yosemite but we'll see what yeah, happens 100 percent, man and honestly th- this is happening more often than people think you know which which is very you know interesting to me um, you know, as far as these clusters are concerned. So, uh, next episode, we're going to detail, uh, in a little bit more depth about these clusters and, you know, kind of what, uh, Dave Polites has kind of pulled together, you know, in his research, you know, since 2009. Um, so we're going to kind of peel that back a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of, like I said, a little bit of a deep, more deeper dive you know, to kind of see what is happening, you know, because there's a lot of theories and there's a lot of, you know, thoughts behind, you know, what is actually happening to some of these hunters. Um, and the locations are, are just, it, it's, it's very creepy, you know, how much of a pattern, you know, some of these clusters have. Mm-hmm. I think as we go into it and get into more detail, you'll see how, how mysterious, bizarre, and ominous these, these clusters are, and I think it's going to be for a good episode, Gary. 100%, man. Well, I'm excited. Uh, until next time, guys, this is the Wildly Unexplained. I'm Gary. And I'm Danny. It was, uh, it was a pleasure, brother. It was fun. Let's do it again. Absolutely, man. Until next time. Catch you guys later.